Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I want you to take out your Bibles because I want to talk about something that's highly motivational to me, and that is the Word of God. So if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to the book of Matthew in the New Testament and chapter number 7, Matthew 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You could take that Bible, turn in the back portion to page 5, and you would find yourself at Matthew chapter 7. This past Wednesday night when I came home from helping to teach at the Bible Institute, my wife Janet was watching PBS, and it was a special on PBS about sinkholes and how there are sinkholes, and you have sometimes homes, sometimes other buildings that fall into these sinkholes, and the houses crumble into them. And I got on the internet and did some searching for pictures of houses that had fallen, buildings had fallen into sinkholes. Uh, some of them were on sandy soil that got washed away under the foundation, and they crumbled down. Some of them had a cave or an underground stream that was running underneath them that undermined them and created a sinkhole. Some of them were on top of a former mine or a salt cavern. But what happens is when you're on that unsure foundation, the house can end up falling and crumbling into that hole, which Brings me to one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, and that is in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. And I want to read those two verses and invite you to follow along this morning as I'm reading. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Men and women, all of us, young people, all of us are in the process of building a house, building our life. And what we want to do as we do that is we want to avoid building our house on a spiritual sinkhole. And all of us, it doesn't matter difference who you are, how old you are, all of us are going to have life happen to us. The rains are going to fall, the floods are going to come, the winds are going to blow. And what we need to know is we have something that is rock solid beneath our feet. And that is the Word of God. We're going to do this short two-part series that I've entitled Rock Solid. And it refers to God's Word and our response to it. It's going to be an exciting time for me because this is really close to my heart. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bible, and you may have a printed version. You may have an electronic version. I want you to do something that might be a little bit different. I want you to take it and hold it with both of your hands. And then I want you to just close your eyes for a moment, and I want you to listen to these words. So hold on to it, and then listen to these words from Max Lucado. He says, this is a peculiar book you are holding. Words crafted in another language, 
deeds done in a distant era, events recorded in a far-off land, counsel offered to a foreign people. This is a peculiar book. It's surprising that anyone reads it. It's too old. Some of its writings date back 5,000 years. It's too bizarre. The book speaks of incredible floods, fires, earthquakes, and people with supernatural abilities. It's too radical. The Bible calls for undying devotion to a carpenter who called himself God's son. Logic says this book shouldn't survive. Too old, too bizarre, too radical. The Bible has been banned, burned, scoffed, and ridiculed. Scholars have mocked it as foolish. Kings have branded it as illegal. A thousand times over, the grave has been dug and the dirge has begun, but somehow the Bible never stays in the grave. Not only has it survived, it has thrived. It is the single most popular book in all of history. There is no way on earth to explain it which perhaps is the only explanation. The answer, the Bible's durability that you hold in your hands is not found on earth, it is found in heaven. For the millions who have tested its claims and claimed its promises, there is but one answer. The Bible is God's book and God's voice. Men and women, our culture is in trouble. Our culture is in danger of sinking into a sinkhole. And of course, our culture is made up of none other than people. And that's what's happening in our culture. People are building on sand. And it's very important for us to be reminded of this. If we don't have a strong grip, I mean a strong grip on the authority of the Bible, we are vulnerable to anything. And so what I want us to do this week and next week is just to be reminded and to be refreshed about God's Word and how it is rock solid. And who better to hear that from than the person of the Lord Jesus himself? And so what I want to share beginning this Sunday and the next Sunday, are four magnificent aspects of the Bible. They come straight from the heart of the Savior to us. But before we get into it, let's just pray for a moment. Father, I would pray for each one of us in our society, in our culture, where it's going, that you would just take some time to refresh us, to remind us, and to renew our embrace of the rock-solid truth of the Word of God. And we know that'll make a difference when the rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow and slam against our house. Thank you for putting us in a position to know that we can stand on rock-solid ground. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Four magnificent aspects of the Word of God that come straight from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Here's the first one. The first magnificent aspect of the Bible is that Scripture is the Word of God 
not the word of men. And, and Jesus made that very clear in Matthew chapter 4, 4. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Remember this? But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Scripture is the word of God, not the word of men. And what's interesting is that Jesus taught that very clearly, and then Paul, and then later Peter, elaborated on that. A familiar verse to many of us that, that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. He said that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. And the key word there is that verb inspired. It literally means in the original language, all scripture is God breathed. It's literally the words out of the mouth of God. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonica church in, in his first letter in chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, he said to those believers, he said, you heard the message of the word of God. And then he said something very interesting. He said, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Scripture is the word of God, not the word of men. Peter elaborates on that when he writes his second letter in chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And again, the key term there is the verb moved. It's just a word that came out of the original language that would describe a sail that was being driven along by the wind. And the picture is that no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. It doesn't come from men, but men who wrote it down, were driven along by the wind of the Holy Spirit so that we got this book that we hold in our hands. When I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Charles Ryrie, and he described this process this way. He said, here's what happened when we got our Bible. God superintended the human authors so that using their own personalities, they composed and recorded God's revelation, his words. And, you know, we, we see that. If you, if you know anything about the original languages, you know that Paul writes in a very distinctive way. Peter writes in a very distinctive way. John writes in a very distinctive way. What happened is that God superintended these men. And, and using their own personalities and really their own vocabulary and their own perspective... They composed and they recorded God's revelation, his words. Scripture is the word of God, not the word of men. B.B. Warfield, who's a great theologian, said this. He said, the Bible is the word of God in such a way that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Remember what Jesus said? Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Scripture is the word of God to us, the communication of God to us. It's not the word of men. Second magnificent aspect that Jesus brings to us is that all Scripture is the word of God. 
In, in the world of theology, we have a, a little phrase that describes that. It's called verbal plenary inspiration. Um, you say, well, that's a big term. What does that really mean? Well, I think you recognize the, the middle word there, the word plenary. Uh, we had several hundred men, about, I think, some 80 who came from Wildwood down to Pine Cove's men conference last week. And when you go to the men's conference at Pine Cove, they have what's called plenary sessions, and then we also have what's called breakout sessions. Well, but what happens in a plenary session? Everyone's there. It includes all the men that came for the weekend. Then we go to a breakout section. It's a group of us that go there. Well, that's the idea of verbal plenary inspiration. It includes all the words, all the terms. It's all Scripture is the Word of God. And, and Jesus emphasized this. Now, if he thinks it's important, makes me think it must be important. And certainly, I think it's important in our culture today. Uh, turn a few pages to the left to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus taught that all Scripture is the Word of God, that it includes all the words. And I want you to notice in particular uh, verse 17 of chapter 5. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or prophets, the Old Testament scripture, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, and that's a way in that day that they would say, listen carefully here because I can guarantee this is true. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. What was he really saying? He was saying that all Scripture is the Word of God down to all of the words. In fact, look at verse 18 when he says, not the smallest letter. Uh, that was a reference to a iota, or in Hebrew, a yod. The, the smallest letter, for example, I, I put it up on the screen, is nothing more than a comma. That little that's what he was referring to, down to the smallest little letter. And then he says in verse 18 also, nor will the stroke, the smallest stroke. I think the NIV says, not the least stroke of a pen. What's he referring to? He's referring here to, I believe, we put up a letter T there. He's referring to a seraph. You remember we have a T, and you'll notice there's little seraphs that come off the top of the T, and there's little tiny seraphs on the, on the base of the T. Little small protrusions, he's saying down to that level, all Scripture is the Word of God. Not just some of the parts, but cover to cover, beginning to end. Now, there's ramifications to that. That means I can't really pick and choose. And, and you know what? Why the world has always done that with the Bible it's a little disturbing that people inside the greater church of Jesus Christ pick and choose. But see, that tells me I can't pick and choose. I, I can't say, oh, I want to believe what the Bible says about salvation. Yes, I want to be forgiven and I want to go to heaven. But I, I don't want to believe what the Bible says about sexuality. 
I, I don't want to believe what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 to 7. Or, or what it says in Hebrews 13, 4. See, we can't pick and choose that way. We can't pick and choose and say, well, I want to embrace what the Bible says about God bringing forgiveness to me. I, I want to embrace that. I really am not too interested in what the Bible teaches about how I am to forgive other people. As it says in Colossians 3, 12 to 13. And also in Ephesians 4, verse 32. See, we can't pick and choose because all Scripture is the Word of God. So, so far, we've seen the first magnificent aspect of the Bible is that all Scripture is the Word of God, or rather, Scripture is the Word of God. Secondly, all Scripture is the Word of God. Here's the third one that Jesus says is important, and that is Scripture is true and reliable. Scripture is true and reliable. You know, there's some people out there, and some of them even reside in some of the seminaries of the land, and there's other skeptics out there, and they say, you know what? Some of those things in the Bible, hey, didn't really happen. I mean, come on, some of those things didn't really happen. And four of the most controversial and ridiculed ones I've, I've written up there on the slide for you, Adam and Eve. <laughs> Adam and Eve, come on. That never really happened. That's just some sort of a personification of manhood, womanhood. Noah, the flood and the ark. That, you know, there really wasn't a guy named Noah. They didn't really build an ark. You know, the, the world wasn't destroyed by a flood. I mean, come on. Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, you really believe that? And you really believe like somebody's wife has turned into a pillow? Oh, come on. Jonah and the great fish that swallowed him. That's not true. I mean, let's, just, let's forget that stuff. That isn't true at all. You know what's interesting to me? Those are probably the four most prominent things that the cynics want to jump on. And all four of them, Jesus referred to directly. And he doesn't allude to them in some sort of an abstract way. He appeals to those things as historical fact. Keep your finger. We'll be back here in this part of Matthew, but go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. Let's look at Adam and Eve. Matthew 19. Verse 3. We have some Pharisees. They come to Jesus, and they're testing him, and they ask him this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And Jesus answers and says, Have you not read your Old Testament scripture that he created them from the beginning and made them male and female? Talking about Adam and Eve. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What is Jesus doing here? He's giving his stamp of authenticity on Adam and Eve. He's not saying, again, there's some sort of a mythical symbol of manhood and womanhood. There were two living beings. He said, haven't you read your Bible? They were real people. It was a real marriage. God invented marriage, and he officiated at the marriage. And on that basis, we can know that Scripture is reliable. It is true 
and reliable. Look at Noah and the flood. Go a few more chapters to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and uh, verse, we'll stop at verse 37. Jesus is saying, he says, the coming of the Son of Man, this is when Jesus returns his second time, will be just like the days of Noah. For on those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They were just doing life until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. That's just some kind of a weirdo myth, you know. That never happened. Jesus puts his stamp of authenticity on it. He's saying Noah was a real person. There really was an ark. There really was a flood that swept everyone who was not on board away in judgment. It's legitimate history, Jesus says. It's not myth. And then he even says there's something for us to learn from that, for this generation to learn from that. So is it going to be in the coming of the Son of Man when he comes back? People are going to be just doing life, just going through the motions of life. And suddenly judgment is going to come. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. In order to do that, we've got to jump over two Gospels to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. We're going to be back in Matthew. Don't lose your place there. But Luke 17, verse 28. Jesus is teaching again, and he says, it's going to be the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planning, they were building, they were just living life. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. And then he says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. This isn't something that just didn't happen. Sodom and Gomorrah was a real event. Talked about in also in chapter 10 of Luke and in chapter 10 and 11 of Matthew. Jesus puts his stamp of authenticity on it. It happened. And the same way that it happened, the judgment just came upon them is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back the second time. How about Jonah and the great fish? Go back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 12. Matthew, chapter 12. Hopefully, you're not getting worn out by all the page turning, but Matthew 12, verse 38. Matthew 12, 38. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign. Could you do a miracle for us? Jesus answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Me, the Messiah. But we see Jesus' stamp of authenticity on it again. This was a real event. All scripture is true and reliable. 
And Jesus even likens the parallel between Jonah's situation in the belly of the sea monster to his burial and his resurrection. So Jesus has been communicating to us some magnificent aspects of the Bible. The first one, Scripture is the Word of God. Secondly, all Scripture is the Word of God. Thirdly, Scripture is true and reliable. And fourth, you have to come next week for number four. Now, those of you who've been around Wildwood for a while know that we don't like to just listen to the Word of God. We want to act on what we're hearing. And so I want to suggest some life application for every one of us on what we looked at this morning. Are you ready for it? Here it is. First life application. Read it. Read it. We've talked about Scripture is the Word of God. All Scripture is the Word of God. Scripture is true and reliable. What should I do then? Read it. And it's interesting how we can make excuses. I'm no different than you. I, I, I came across this. Top five reasons for not reading your Bible. Here you go, all right? Reason number five for not reading your Bible. It's dusty and I'm allergic to dust. Pretty creative thought there. Reason number four for not reading your Bible. My first love is washing and ironing. Wow, that's a stretch, huh? Reason number three for not reading your Bible. I'm afraid I'll spill coffee on it and ruin it. We can get creative, right? Reason number two for not reading your Bible, the top five reasons. Number two, I'm just not really into spiritual conviction right now. And the number one reason for not reading your Bible, reason number one, I'm waiting for the movie. We can just get so creative about all the reasons why we don't read it. And I want to give you some tips when it comes to reading the Scripture. Here's the first tip that I have. And, and every once in a while, I run into people that are like this, and, and I say, well, what kind of Bible do you have? And they say, well, I have a King James Version. And I say, well, do you understand it when you read it? And I say, not really. It's kind of hard to understand. So that's my first tip. If you have a King James Version Bible, wonderful version in terms of the accuracy of it, but it's just a little archaic in its language. So my encouragement would be to maybe set that aside and instead get something like the new King James Version, which has more modern language and vocabulary in it, or get something like the ESV, the English Standard Version, or get something like the NIV, the New International Version, or another one of my favorites is the New Living Translation, the NLT, or get the New American Standard Bible Updated Version, which is what I happen to use, but I've been using it since 1970, and I'm a little stuck on it. But read it in a translation that's easier to understand. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, okay, I guess I'm going to have to find some time to go to the bookstore, and then I've got to get all the Bibles out and kind of lay them out in all these versions, and then I can maybe read a little here and read a little there. And well, that's good. I mean, that's going to be, you know, is there a shelf big enough for me to lay them? No, you don't have to do that. Here's something you need to be aware of if you're not already aware of it. There's a place on the Internet called BibleGateway.com, 
BibleGateway.com. I go there all the time myself. You can go to BibleGateway.com and you can put in a passage that you might want to read. It could be a whole book or it could be just a section of a book. And then you can choose in a drop-down menu various versions where that will come out in that exact uh, version. So you might say, I'm going to read it in the ESV or I want to read it in the New Living Translation, whatever it may be. I even use that on a regular basis to compare. I have, I have all of these translations in my office, but sometimes when I'm on the internet, I'll just go there and I'll want to say, okay, how does verse 24 and 25 of Matthew 7 read? Well, I might read it in the ESV, and then I'll just click and I'll change it to the King James, New King James Version, and then maybe the New Living Translation. So take advantage of BibleGateway.com. It will help you. If you want to buy, purchase a copy of a Bible in some way, shape, or form, um, that's one way to figure out what you would like to do that very thing. And if you've really never read, here's another little tip. If you've really never read the Bible for yourself, I want to suggest that you consider starting in the Gospel of John or the book of Philippians. It's a good place to start reading. If Scripture is something that you have read in the past and you want to restart, uh, perhaps you might want to go look at 1 Peter, good place to read, or the book of Ruth, a very fascinating story out of the Old Testament. Now, one other tip I want to give you in this, this whole arena. Sometimes people say this to me. Well, you know, I, I read through the Bible, but I, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to get out of it. I read it, but I didn't really know how to get anything out of it. Well, let me help you in that arena also. Let me give you three questions that you can ask as you're reading the Bible. These are very helpful. First question, what am I to believe as I'm reading through this portion of the Word of God? What am I to believe about God? Uh, what am I to believe about forgiveness? Uh, what am I to believe about sin? All kinds of things. What am I to believe as I read it? Second question, what am I to do? As I read this, am I getting an indication from the Spirit of God that there's something I should do? Is there something I should confess? Is there something that I should thank God about? Is there some action in my life that needs to be altered and changed based on what I'm reading? Is there some action or choice in life that should be initiated in my life because of what I am reading? Third question, how should this influence my relationships? As you're reading the Bible, you ask that question. How should this influence my relationships? How should it influence my relationship vertically with God? How should it influence my relationships horizontally? How should it influence my marriage, my children, my relationship with my siblings, my relationship with the church, my relationship with the community, where I work and what I'm doing out there in the everyday world? Read it. It is amazing what God has put into our hands. And we need to read it. I want to go back for a moment to Matthew 7, and I want to really conclude our time by reading again from the verses we started with today and then a couple more. And if you'd like, you can follow along, but maybe just listen. Jesus says, 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. But he goes on to say these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for the word of God. We thank you for this book. It's amazing to think about how this book, which comes directly from the mouth of God, is a book that actually can transform the way we think. It can transform what we believe, and it can be used by the Spirit of God to transform the way that we act and the attitudes that we have. And Lord, we understand the reason why you have given us the Scripture. It's because you love us. It's because you are for us. It's because you know that there's going to be time when the rains come and the winds blow and you want us to be in a place where we can say, I can stand on a place that is rock solid. Thank you so much for your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.